Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. This is Sarah Rose Etter, whose uh, debut novel has just come out, and we're here to celebrate it. Um, and she's joined by Tommy Pico, and he's the author of the books IRL, Nature Poem, and Junk. He's the winner of a Whiting Award and the Brooklyn Public Library's Literature Prize. He co-curates the reading series Poets with Attitude with Morgan Parker, co-hosts the podcast Food for Thought, and is a contributing editor at Literary Hub. Originally from the Viejas Indian Reservation of the Kumeyaay Nation, he now lives in Los Angeles. Sarah Rose Etter is the author of Tongue Party. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in The Cut, Electric Literature, Vice, Guernica, Philadelphia Weekly, and others. She's a recipient of writing residencies at the Disquiet International Program in Portugal and the Golkistan Creative Program in Iceland. She got an MFA from Rosemont College and she lives in San Francisco. Please join me in welcoming these two writers. I was gonna do like a tap out, you know what I mean? Excuse like me. A, you know how people do like high kicks when they come out? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like, hey. Like a that. chorus line. Yeah. Yes, we stand. I'm glad you guys came out. Thanks for coming out on a Sunday. I know it's like a, such a lazy day. Like sometimes you're like, I gotta get up and go do this reading. So I'm glad you're here. Thank you for coming across town. I know that that's a big thing up here, no? Yeah. Uh, will you t uh, give us like a little synopsis of the book? Yeah, of course. So think about like a feminist black mirror. Uh, so it's about a girl who's born in the shape of a knot and she's dealing a lot with like body and it's basically the entire course of her life and it's spliced up with visions she has of like a better life and then also facts that she's learning about the world around her. So it's kind of like very fragmented, mm -hmm. I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and what excerpts are you going to read for us? I was going to read the beginning because I always feel like, oh, these people give like such a big setup and then you're like, okay, we get it. The guy did the thing. Okay. Just read it. For like... Like an hour? No, no, no. I'm not going to read for an hour. That's crazy. <laughs> do people do that? Is that like a form of torture? <laughs> do they? Joe does. Joe? Oh, Joe's here? I'm like really On excited. Dates, All my yeah. favorite people are here. <laughs> On dates. That's rude. Don't. I know. So Please rude. don't. I, as you can see, this is going to be a casual affair. Do <laughs> they give us water? Uh, no, but I have a Diet Coke if you want to sip it. It's over there. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you're okay. Um, no, but seriously, um, I'm going to read a little bit from this book, and then Tommy and I are going to have a conversation, um, and we're going to do our best not to bore you. I think that's probably the main thing. Yeah. And then, like, buy a book, and then have her sign it. Yeah, I will yeah, write nice things, mean things in it, whatever you want. Mm -hmm. Enemies, family members, ex-boyfriends. Well, anyway, okay. <laughs> um, Gemini's. Okay, no. <laughs> um, yeah, so, um, also, by the way, can I just say thanks, Skylight Books? This is, like, a great place to read, and I'm, like, really happy to be here. Thank you. Um, and I'm going to say one more thank you. Tommy's been on tour with me for the last couple days, and it's been really, really fun, and we don't want to kill each other, so that's pretty beautiful. Yeah, it's always wonderful when you can actually travel with somebody, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I'm just going to read now, if that's okay. Um, 
I was born a knot like my mother and her mother before her. Picture three women with their torsos twisted like thick pieces of rope with a single hitch in the center. The doctors had the same reaction each birth. They lifted our slick warped bodies into the air and stared horrified. All three of us wailed, strange new animals, our lineage gnarled, aching, and hardened. Outside, beyond the bright white lights of the hospital, the machine of the world kept grinding on, a metal mouth baring its teeth, a maw waiting to clench down on us. I'm not religious, but I damn well prayed, my mother says, exhaling smoke over the kitchen table. I rubbed the rosaries raw that you would take after your father. My mother's knot rests against the kitchen table, and in my tender moments, I want to reach out and place a hand there. As soon as you crowned, I knew it, my mother says. I could feel your knot. When my mother tells this story, I take long sips of my lemonade to keep quiet. I know she screamed the whole birth, and I brought her the same pain she brought her mother. Your father says I went possessed. My eyes rolled back into my head. There are 4,500 different types of knots. There are 3,800 basic variations of these knots. There are an infinite number of ways to combine these knots and their variations, and in this way, knots are like stars. We could have been complicated, figure eights, clove hitches, sheet bends, reefs, heaving lines, but our knots are simple. Overhand, our abdomens twist in and out just once, our bodies wrapping back into themselves, creating dark caverns, coiled as snakes. In old black and white photos, my young mother poses next to my grandmother. Both conceal their knots beneath billowing blouses, standing stiffly on a gray lawn, their gray lips strained into gray smiles over their gray teeth. My mother and I keep the home on the weekends. My mother is like the weather in that she changes daily, and each day I make a report of her. Today my mother is focused and sharp, training me to clean. Everything must be white, pristine, diamond. Specks of dirt taunt her. A bucket of lemons rests at my feet, and to keep a home, one must have hands and skin of citrus. Now do it how I do it, she says. You're old enough for a knife now. And I have seen it. Her back hunched over the sink, the brown of her hair glinting in the sunlight, the fat of her upper arms warbling, the sawing, then the halves between her fingers, yellow moons in her palms, rubbing the lemons over the white walls. I hunch over the silver gut of the sink. I cut the lemons down the center one by one, arms shivering against the knife, separating small citrine hearts, a surgeon. I run the yellow halves over the white walls until they glisten, until the house tangs with the flesh of the fruit and the juice of the citrus runs into the gutters of my gnawed nail beds and then stings. I'm not done yet. Hold on. <laughs> Later, in my bedroom, I shed my clothes and take inventory of my body in the long mirror. I am thin at the arms and legs, wiry brown hair down to my shoulders. My eyes are brown and flat. My jaw is large, my ears too big. My breasts are small and there is a bit of flatness before the knot begins. Just below my ribs, the skin changes. My knot is strained and stretched marked, shining and hard. I used to gasp when I saw it, but now it is my familiar. I have seen my mother's too when she is changing through the crack in the door. Her breasts sag over her knot and we are different in this way. The cool air pushes in through the window and runs over that secret skin, a relief in that cool touch. On weekdays, I go to school. I walk a mile. The school is green with a pitched roof. Most days, no one minds me, and I stay quiet to keep it that way. I keep track of the facts, though. In my classes, I learn about the human body and history and the human brain, deep seas, jungles, islands, and the distant cities beyond our town and the distant planets beyond our world. 
An octopus has three hearts, nine brains, and blue blood. Female lions do 90%ing of the hunting from their pride. The heart of the blue whale is so large that a human could swim through its arteries. One square centimeter of skin contains roughly 100 pain sensors. The sun will only get brighter before it collapses. Okay, thank you. Yes, Sarah. <laughs> And readings, yes. <laughs> All right. Um, I have a lot of questions I want to ask you, and then I'm going to throw it to the audience to ask some questions, too. We're not going to ask too many because we're hungry. <laughs> um, we're hot and hungry, both. I'm curious. Um, I know that you recently took a 23andMe, and so I was just wondering how it feels to be 100% that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm still coming to terms with that okay. as my lineage. Yeah. I, okay. you know, I wasn't expecting those results. Right. And when they came in, I called my mom. It was a confirmation, I, Yeah, though, right? I really had it's to tell her. Kind of felt. I did know. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but and to see it on paper was just... <laughs> life-affirming. And, um, you know, I, I also have to say that as a person who is in the acknowledgments of this book, thank you so much <laughs> for that. Um, you know, they say, like, don't judge a book by its cover, but I wanted to start with the cover because mm. it's a really beautiful image. And will you just tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, so there's a surrealist artist, and I believe he is in Germany, and initially they had given me, like, a very soft, pastel, like, sweet cover, and I was like, this book is demonic. <laughs> we should not do that, maybe. Just because it felt kind of like it wasn't true if that makes sense like it's just not a very nice book I, I hope that that's okay to say I feel bad saying it but it's kind of true um, so we went back and forth a bit but as soon as I saw that image um, I wrote the book in Iceland most of it and so the sky was really important to me and then also the idea of like a woman kind of breaking apart felt pretty like relatable mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. Um, I think probably something that you get asked a lot about is structure mm -hmm. um, if you haven't seen the inside of it there aren't really chapters it's not really like a typical sort of um, structure for a novel and I actually really like it a lot I like it because I think first of all it's also a book-length poem um, which is my shit um, and also like I thought of like a photo mosaic like a picture that as you zoom out it's like a picture of Abraham Lincoln or like a skull or something and then you zoom in and there are all these little tiny pictures inside yeah. of it yeah. and um, what do you think I don't know like as you were writing it, is that the structure that came to mind or was it a structure that kind of fell into place? Well, first of all, I'm really glad you figured out that like relationship to Abraham Lincoln in this book, it was really important <laughs> to me as I was writing it. No, I'm kidding. Um, actually, uh, I was really working on computer systems. This is so nerdy, but there are all these spreadsheets you use when you're linking the front end of a computer system to the back end. Um, and so I was like really living in spreadsheets. And then I started thinking about a character that would have a dual life where she would be living in the world and then also having these dreams that related to her life. But um, I had to spend a lot of time linking them up. You know, it was uh, probably, I think most people like reading it, it just seems like it comes together really easily, but there's definitely like a whole like schema that I had to make that made sure that the visions had the same trajectory as her life. And my goal is that if you pulled them out, like they have their own arc mm. alongside hers. Um, but yeah, it took a lot of planning and initially, Every single one of those little vignettes was on its own page, but then we laid it out in publishing, and they were like, this book is a 1,000 pages. <laughs> and I was like, let's go with it. <laughs> and they were like, this isn't War and Peace. I was like, all right, fair. Um, so we came up with this, which really I think is nice. And I, I've been thinking a lot about kind of the 
like attention span in America right now, right? If everything is kind of done through tweets and like you can lose a reader in a minute, then like why not make a novel that lends itself to these kind of like short fragments? Because I, and it's crazy because people are like leaving five stars on Goodreads and they're like, oh, I got it at lunch and I finished it by dinner. That's the whole review. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, okay. We got I, the stars I mean, I guess, though. Yeah, you, thank, you, the stars, thank you for though. the stars. Also like I'm, like, I'm glad you didn't put it down. Um, but I did think a lot about that, right? How do you not lose a reader when there are a thousand distractions? Like all you need is a phone to ping and they never have to pick your book up again. So um, yeah, that definitely played into it for sure. And I think something that you get that you don't necessarily always get with like a, a novel that has like more of like a typical structure is that you also get a story in the juxtapositions because there are discrete moments that run into each other. And again, that makes it more like a poem. So I'm curious sort of in the editing of it, were you paying attention to the juxtaposition? Yeah, a lot of stuff came through in the editing because initially it was just, you know, such a messy first draft, especially with a structure like this. So you just, I, I think I probably edited it like I don't know, a bajillion times. I have a stack of it at home and I got so sick of looking at it. I was just like, ah, I'm gonna lose my mind. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you really look for ways to kind of like keep threads running through and mm -hmm. common themes continuing to come back. Um, but before I did it, I mean, it's very surreal, but I would say there was a lot of planning of the structure, right? Like it looks surreal and weird, but that's only within the confines of like, there's an arc for each part, there's character development, there, you know, all of those things are still there, but it's also just really, really weird. Yeah, I mean, as much as we talk about it being like, you know, different and the structure being different, there is a very typical three-act structure to it, yeah. right? Um, and I'm curious too, cause like there's like meat quarries, right? But then the main character Cassie eats a, eats stones, yeah. you know. So there's like a. I'm wondering like how much of it is planning and how much of it is like stuff that just you let kind of fall, like in, in terms of the writing of it, like yeah. in terms of like the, the the characters arc and like their interactions and all that kind of stuff. Like you, I, you are a planner, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would say um I think when I was writing it, I was reading a lot of uh, Donald Barthelme has a an essay collection about not knowing where things are gonna go, and then I'm not a huge reader of Robert Olin Butler, but I was reading this book he wrote called From Where You Dream, and he was talking about how every day just get up and f immediately from bed, like don't brush your teeth, don't drink your coffee, just go write. And so when I was in Iceland, the sun was only going down like five hours a day probably. And so every morning I would just wake up and go to it. And a lot of stuff that came out of that, like the meat quarry and all that stuff, I just was going, you know? And it's so funny because I, I wanna have like some big secret symbolism for it or whatever, but it felt very like visual and scenic and it felt right. Um, but it was, I, I don't think I really had, um, I had to give myself a lot of permission to just be weird. I think, you know, for this book, I look a lot at other novels and I didn't wanna write the same thing we've always seen. And I think, you know, that was really propelling me to just play. And plus, you know, she has this body that is so surreal and different, she can live in a different world. There were, there are different rules and like different ways in which we interact with capitalism and work and death and love, right? She gets to exist somewhere that's a little bit different. Mm. Speaking of the visuals and the, and how sort of sensual it was, I, I okay. I'm gonna say I typically have an oral fixation, but um, this book also got me really focused on what you could bite and what you could like, you know, suck on, you know. Um, and I'm curious. So I'm curious what you were consuming 
as you were writing this book, like art and music and, and literature and stuff? Yeah, I don't know if it's like this for you, but usually before I start a project, I pull like six books off a shelf that I want to be in conversation with, and those are the only six I'll read, because the minute you read like anything else, it just throws you off. So I had just a stack of books that I was going back to. I think Ann Carson was in there. Um, I think uh, Brian Evanson was in there. I think someone else in the audience was in there. <laughs> um, I'm looking at Amelia. Um, but yeah, so I, I was really just going back to those over and over and over again. And that was really important during editing uh, because like the sentences of, you know, Brian Evanson and Ann Carson, I was really, when I went back through, I was really trying to keep it poetic. It's very funny. You poets keep coming up to me going, you're a poet, you're a poet. And I'm like, you're adopting me. Um, <laughs> like, I don't know what's happening. The poets are like all into it. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, but I was curious, is that like, the, is it like that? for you when you're starting a new project like do you just grab a bunch of people that you're like this is who I would sit at a dinner table with for this book and this is who I want to know don't smirk yeah Joe. why are you laughing it's not even fun. it's the least funny thing I've said today he's, he's, <laughs> like because you said who do I pull on or whatever yeah <laughs> okay on Tondra's. okay yeah, yeah. well go grow up I'm um, sh <laughs> <laughs> sure I but I also like what I really appreciated about this book or one of the things that I really appreciated about this book was that it did it, it didn't it did bend uh, like form I mean it it sometimes acted as a novel a, a fiction sometimes it acted as poetry and sometimes there were just facts it was literally like nonfiction, right mm -hmm. um, and in that way I think you demand different things of your reader and in challenge your readers in different ways because like and broadly I'm just saying broadly I think of fiction as something that people go to um, maybe when they want to be entertained or have a story told to them nonfiction they want to learn something in poetry they want to challenge the word or whatever and I think you did all of those things yeah do you that's sweet that's sweet thank you for saying that I mean was that intentional I don't know. I, I really wanted to give some breathing room because I thought the main character's story was so sad that I thought, like, no human wants to read this and, like, just be so devastated. So I started to just break it up with, like, these visuals and these facts. Um, and I was thinking a lot about visual art. You know, I jokingly call this book a tumor. I'm like, if you, like, <laughs> split it open, it's, like, gorgeous and hideous and beautiful and all of those things at the same time. Um, and I think that's kind of true. Like, it's very all over the place. I couldn't believe it when we were going through publishing and they asked me, like, they fact-checked all the facts in the book and then we had to, like, source them. And I'm like, this book is fiction. <laughs> <laughs> and yet, like, here we are fact-checking things and I have to, like, be like, WebMD, thank you <laughs> for your guidance <laughs> on what happens to a woman during the menstrual cycle. Um, but, yeah, no, you're not wrong. I think it, I was thinking a lot of collage. I don't know, if it does feel, like, sculptural to me. It feels like going into, like, a museum and, and seeing a sculpture and then trying to figure out what it wants from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And in creating this sculptural piece, how people ask me this all the time and I never really know what to say other than it just happened. But how did you know when you were done? Because we're talking about these, these like this, like I'm going to say it again, like photo mosaic, right? With all these little pixels and they, they leap, but there's also like a patch of grass that you could have described. So like, I imagine you could have kept going yeah. for a really long time. Like when yeah. were you like, I'm ready to leave this. It was when the publisher was like, you have to be done right <laughs> now because, you know, I, I don't, I don't know. We have like a, we had a spot at the printer and it was like, if you missed that spot, it was going to be like a month and a half late. And so, you know, I think you're right though. I think because it's like patchwork and collage-ish and mosaic, um, you could just keep going forever really. But I don't think anyone wants that. <laughs> I have a feeling, right? Like, I don't know. I don't think anybody wants me to do that. Was there anything that you made that you missed then? Or is there anything that you wanted to put in there that maybe didn't make it in there? Or are you just kind of like, eh? Um, you know, I don't know. I think I would have probably just ke like kept adding facts. And I think that was like the publisher was like, stop putting your hands on this. We know what you're doing. You're mm. being a psycho demon. And I was like, I want to keep going. And they were like, please go to bed. 
just give it to us and we'll take care of it. I'm like, ah. Um, but I don't know. Isn't it like that for you? Like, couldn't you edit something forever? I don't think you're ever done. I feel like when I, was, when I wrote my first book, I was like, I think I'm just going to be writing this for the rest of my life. And then one day, I mean, I kind of linked it to being like, like having a crush on somebody. And you can tell when that thing is gone. Yeah. And it was just gone. And I was like, I think I have to move on to the next one. Yeah. I have a friend who was talking about how every time you write a book, it's like a portal opens up in your brain. And then you're finished the book and the portal closes and you can't ever get back in there again. And it's kind of true of this world. Like, I don't think I would want to revisit it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I would, I'm ready to do the next thing maybe if that makes Tap sense. Tap a new well. Yeah, get in there. Yeah. Like an oil spill. Like, no well, <laughs> like a well. An oil well. Um, so there's a thing that Cassie does that I personally can't identify with. So I have to use my imagination really heavily on this one. But like she kind of, in any given situation, comes to like the worst possible conclusion at any given time. Again, no, I no personal experience <laughs> of this. Um, but I, like, where do you think that comes from with her? Yeah, you know, I had been doing a lot of research into like, um, and I think if you think about this book, I've been thinking a lot about in the 80s, we had a lot of novels that were very like hopeful and it was like, you know, it's like this sentimental novel and it was like kind of a response to Reagan almost, right? Like people really thought everything was gonna be fine. Mine is like the Brat Pack, right? Like don't throw Brady Sinellas at me right now, but like just, <laughs> just follow me. Um, but what I think we're seeing now is, you know, kind of a return to a novel where like things might not get better and people don't always get redeemed and things don't get a clean, happy ending. And I would almost say people are feeling, I like, I think of Ocean Vuong on Earth were beautifully gorgeous. Like that's not a book where you would say things get better. Um, you know, and I think we saw that kind of start with like um, Roxy and Gay with Hunger. And I mean, probably the first one was maybe, um, I, I think, you know, you start to see a turn in what's happening in books right now. And I think maybe it's partially being under this climate of like, I'm going to take the risk and I'm not going to pretend that there are people out there where everything's shiny, right? Like we can't all just get a vegan diet and go to yoga and everything's better for us. Like that's not realistic. Speak for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But so for this book, I was doing a lot of research into like trauma and the impact of trauma on the body. And, you know, if you think about, if you go through a traumatic experience, it actually changes your entire brain makeup. And so this idea that like you go through a traumatic thing and then you get absolved and everything goes back to normal it's just kind of not true Mm -hmm. and so I think this book is kind of a weird one because it puts people in a place of confronting the fact that like hey I might not be putting a fucking bow on this right well and and I think too she Cassie the main character Cassie sees um, her mother and her mother's physical pain at her not um, as like a portent of maybe Cassie's own eventual physical pain that she then does su- kind of succumb to. She knows what's coming. Yeah, yeah. and it like it, it like she's got this like chronic overwhelming pain, or she's like passing out, and she has changed afterwards. Yeah, like her brain is different, yeah. right? And I think anyone who's had chronic pain would know that that's really what happens to you, you know. And so it's um, it's disingenuous to write the body in pain and then also you know make it nice. But I think also for her you and I were talking about this, she's one of those characters that's like born into a very specific world and she can't see outside of it. And Mm. I think that that's true for a lot of people that are born in small towns and they don't ever go to the city or, you know what I mean? There are so many ways in which we are born into conditions or we are, you know, inheriting things that we can't break out of. Um, And that's just kind of where she took me. I don't know. Mm. You know, let's let's jump on this one. Yeah, yeah. Because I want to know, too, about, you know, sort of your journey as a writer. And we've talked about this somewhat casually, but, like, when you're not kind of raised with, like, a lot of immediate, um, um, like, opportunity. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I'm, I mean, I don't know. I think if, if you look at, like, my hometown, a lot of people are 
kind of just still there. There's like a lot of drugs. It's not like a very like wealthy area by any means. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I kind of got here by the skin of my teeth because it was, I was always in honors English and writing all the time, but everything else was just chaos. And the, pretty much the only reason I got into college was on like the strength of my writing sample and like my SAT scores. Cause I was just being crazy, wild, truly wild, like a demon. Um, but then I got really into writing and that kind of got me out of everything. Mm -hmm. And now I'm here with you. So I just, hey. I just jumped over like, I don't know, <laughs> 35 <laughs> years or something. How did you come to it? Um, my parents love poetry. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I grew up on a reservation and they didn't really graduate from high school, but they love poems and they also didn't see a difference. They didn't see poems as something that you had to act, enter into scholastically. Right. They, they just, you know, it was just like there were these books with words in them. And if you read the words and you took the time and you had the patience, you know, um, eventually they would unfold for you in a certain way. And so I guess through them I learned a kind of patience with, with writing and or with reading and specifically poetry. And, um, you know, we'd like do things like have little readings together on Sundays. We'd write stuff and like perform them in front of each other. And I would like sing songs and uh, uh, dresses that I'd gotten at the thrift store that my mom worked at. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like it was just, you know, I was just such a fag. <laughs> <laughs> I think we were talking about this yesterday. Like my dad would read me the New York Times when I was in my diapers. There's like all these pictures of him just like reading the Times and me just being like a squirmy baby. Just like, I don't know what you're saying. Um, but yeah, I do think that's like kind of stuck around a little bit. Yeah. Um, it's interesting too, because it felt kind of eventually like an escape from like a town where I didn't really feel ever like I wanted to be or like fit in. And I don't know, it's kind of, uh, it's Pottstown, Pennsylvania, right next to the power plants. Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of nuclear energy, you know, mm. that kind of vibe. Mm, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you've seen Chernobyl. We didn't get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> We're not. Um, for what? Um, you know, honestly, in the beginning, before 9-11, we were allowed to, like, go up to the power plant, and I, me and my friends would go, like, lay under it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you could go right up beneath the stacks and just, like, lay down and watch the clouds go and, you know. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you this. This is getting, like, <laughs> deeply personal. All right, let's, 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 let's veer in the other it's way. It's fine. You can go wherever you um, want. I have a question, <laughs> um, mostly because, and this is going to be um, really selfish, because I'm, like, starting to write one of these little novel things, and I'm curious about your timeline from the inception of the idea and to its completion and, and its, like, publication. Like, how did it? What yeah. was the what was the timeline there? Uh, the first spreadsheet I did was probably uh, like six years ago, and I found it like on a Google Drive. I didn't realize how long I had been like thinking about it and working on it. Um, and I had started a couple things, but then when I got the residency in Iceland, I was by myself for about thirty days in a cabin, like in a rural area. So there's only like a couple people around me, and it was pretty desolate. Um, so I just wrote I think seventy thousand words then. And then I edited it for, <laughs> and then I edited for like uh, probably three or four years after that. Um, and yeah. when did you like figure out what the story was? Uh, before I went, I mapped out. I knew I wanted a three-part structure, and then I really mapped out, you know, every scene that I thought I was going to need, and all the people, and like the things I wanted to happen. And then I wrote them all on note cards. And every morning, I would get up and just pull a card, and I'd be like, "You're writing that scene." If you're into tarot at all, you'll love this system, and it's also <laughs> like a really good way to be held accountable because it's like every day you get up and you just are kind of assigning yourself a piece, um, which is really helpful because I do think I'm about to get on a soapbox. This whole like thing about like put your ass 
class in the chair and write a page every day, right? That, which has been handed down to us from like, you know, the academic side of writing. Um, when you look at what's happening in America right now, it's like people are working like 90 hours a week. People are like driving Lyft and working four jobs. Like, you know, so I think the way in which we're writing is actually changing too, be, just because of the difference in the work week and what kind of time we have. Um, I was super lucky to have Iceland, right? Like. A lot of people don't get to just sit with a work for 30 days. That's, you know, unheard of in some cases. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I've always had a full-time job. And so some of the structure is really just a function of like, I got to work. Right. Yeah. And it does like routinize, it, coming at it with a planned structure type, it does help to routinize the work instead of just kind of like, I don't know, the, the way that I wrote poetry was always just like this, for some instinctual, like sitting down and like seeing where it went. Like I didn't ever have a structure or like I didn't have like I mean, sometimes I felt like I had a direction but it wasn't like I was I had an aim yeah you know other than some kind of uh I just wanted it to make my ears feel the way that they felt when I took a shot of whiskey you know what I mean like some kind of like fuzzy little feeling that I had up here that then again I think contributed to the like, to feel like I was under the influence of something which contributed I think to the fact that I can't remember writing yeah you know what I mean like it's it, like it sits there in the book and I'm like it has my name on it. I like, did it. I, I definitely the, did it. I got the money for it, so it's clearly <laughs> I guess mine. I did it. Um, well, how do you know when you're done then? Again, it just it like goes it fades. It fades. But like writing screenplays now and and writing for for television stuff, it definitely there's there has to be planning, and it is like a job, and it is like an hours thing. And if I have only two hours to work on it, I'm going to work on it for two hours, and I can't waste time. And so doing the structure thing, it really cuts down on the writing time yeah. if, you have, if you know where you're going. But I sometimes like in the poems though, it's not that like I do think structured writing lends can be surprising as well. There are ways you can surprise yourself, you know, yeah. right? Would you say so? Well, I was going to say, like, uh, with surrealism, you kind of need some kind of structure or you're going to lose the reader entirely. I can't start a story like this and just go, fuck it. I'll figure it out, right? Like, there's that's not fair to anybody. Um, you're like, now she's on the moon. Oh, here she goes. Yeah, because you just lose people really quick. So um, for me, it was like I had to do a lot of planning and a lot of attention to the line level just in order to try to get the reader to go on the ride with me. It's kind of like... Um, like commercially and the way that it's paced, it reads like a traditional novel, but everything else that happens, by creating that structure, you have to get really weird on the line and on the visuals, and it, right? It, it makes you get weird in smaller spaces, mm -hmm. yeah. Can you tell me a little bit maybe then about the, the publishing journey of this book being so weird, as weird as it is? Yeah, yeah, so I had sent it out to some agents and I got some like really nice rejections, like this is beautiful, but it's too fucked up. This is glistening, <laughs> but we can't sell it. Um, and then, same. yeah, honestly, I mean, just personally, I, yeah, same. Yeah. I was like, oh, this sounds like, this sounds like somebody being like, I do want to sleep with you, but I don't want to date you. Yeah. And you're like, ah, oh. <laughs> is it okay to compare publishing to sex? Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I compare everything. To, I don't know if you know I'm on this show, Food for Thought, Food the Number Four, and Thought Spelled T H O T. It's for gay sluts who love to read. I compare everything to fucking, so. I'm familiar with your yeah, work, your, your, your oeuvre. Come by it honestly, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do, I know you do, I know you do. Um, but yeah, so I, I think I had gotten rid of like maybe five or six agents and I took it super personally because I'm a Pisces and I'm such a little bitch. <laughs> uh, so I got really sad about it um, and then uh, $2 Radio took it and then I just started editing like a psychopath for like six months because I had just finished reading The Deeper, The Water, The Uglier, The Fish, which $2 Radio had also put out and I thought it was so beautiful and after I read that I was like game on yeah you know um and it made me really edit a lot harder too I it was I during the editing process I was looking at that I was looking at Evanson um yeah a lot of that stuff cool 
Yeah. Is there anything else? I don't know what else I was going to say. I think that's pretty much it. Do I mean, you guys have questions? Did you, did you want to say more? Do I Do I? Do you? I have a big mouth. I know you do. And no gag reflex. I, okay. <laughs> Self-promo. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I honestly think I wouldn't have even sent this book out under, like, without this administration. For some reason, after the election, I just felt like, fuck it, like, let me write this, like, feminist, nasty, surreal, crazy book. I, I don't know why, but it just made me feel way more reckless and less concerned with writing this, like, pristine, nice literature. I don't know why. It just, it did. And I feel the same way now. I I keep wanting to push back. Like, the next thing I'm working on is very much dealing with capitalism. It's very much dealing with money and power and the female body because I just I don't think we're at a place yet where all of those things are resolved and I'll let you say your side uh yeah um well today sh yes sure but also like I'm from an Indian reservation so it's like been today since 1492 <laughs> fair, fair point. um fair but point. but it does but it does we were talking about this on the train from San Diego today where it was just like um, where do you, where we, oh, it was at, at, at Sarah's book launch in San Francisco. I was like talking with some people and we're just like, you know, having drinks and we're having like, you know, it's like some like bubbly shit. And then I was also like, uh, somebody had mentioned like, um, uh, cabaret. And I was like, I do sort of feel like, like I'm Sally Bowlesing right now. Like I do feel like the, like everything is horrible and like gnashing and like, there's concentration camps and shit, and I'm just sitting here. I'm just here, here in a thing, and I'm drinking fuzzy alcohol, and I'm like trying to flirt with a dude who like Sarah introduced me to. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a very good matchmaker. I know. I'm Hold, growing. Okay. Hey, back to what you were saying about <laughs> the real life. No, it's true. It's like we're. Bo it's both more necessary than ever, and it also still feels more worthless than ever mm -hmm. because it's like, is it a, really a form of protest? Like, no one is getting released because I wrote this book. And that is frustrating and doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. But I mean, then, but I've also, like, like I said before, being from a resin, I just have also have kind of written. The reason why I wrote four things in four years was because I was like, I don't know if I have five years left of my life. Yeah. Because like where I come from, the average age of death is like 40.7 years old and I'm 35. And it's just like, you know, I can't actually wait for the next thing to come. I've got to sit down and write it right now and release it like uh, the rent was due yesterday, you know? Yeah. I do feel more urgency. I don't, I don't think you're wrong about that because it's like things are changing so quickly and becoming worse so fast that I think, you know, you want to push harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But when you're a horse model, and I'm guessing you're a personal life and a career life, and there's no resolution to just something, for example, when you said, oh, Hey! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he said his own stereotype, it was like, if he decides to go start this thing on without you, it's like passing a hand and you being present. Yeah. And I just was wondering if you could riff on the numerology of your story. The other thing I was thinking, too, is that. When you, when you have, like, love family, all these books you read, uh, and the history you're living through, it's not so much redemption. It's 
Yeah. Resilience more so. They, yeah, they also talk about bravery a lot too, right? That's another big one, right? Um, like the bravery to tell the story and the bravery of the person within the story. I think this book is a little bit different because it's a main character who is very othered. You know, um, I was telling Tommy, I don't talk about this too much, but if you look at a movie like Edward Scissorhands, right? You have someone who's very different trying to get ingrained with society and it never works and it never ends well. If you look at E.T., same thing, right? Like everyone falls in love with this other for very brief moments of time and they try to become normal and in the end they can't be there. Um, it, and it goes back in literature too, right? How many times throughout books um, has someone different tried to kind of meld in with society and never been able to do it? Um, I think that's a little bit more true of this book, for sure. And like, it's called the Book of X. Like, there is like, it does. There's She's crossed a, a out. Bi something biblical is associated with it. The structure of the Bible is not that dissimilar to that structure. So, so <laughs> what I was thinking anyway. I meant that. <laughs> oh thanks thank you can you tell my dad that <laughs> he keeps being like just write it something easy for people <laughs> Yeah, um, so the question is around dreams and work. Um, you know, in grad, grad school was so hard for me because everyone was writing this like very traditional fiction and I was showing up with these stories about like dead koalas rolling up on a beach and you would just see a, a sea of horrified kind of older ladies going like, I think the main character is on LSD. <laughs> and I'm like, no, that's just the story I want to write. Um, and so they're like, to me, they're kind of not, they're almost not dreams. Instead, I'm more thinking, I'm very much thinking if these were painted scenes, what would they look like as art? How would they look as like an installation? Um, and I, in a weird way, like if I wasn't lazy and if I was good at, with my hands, I would probably be like a visual artist in some capacity, but I don't really know how to do that. And you know, it scares me. So I don't, um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think I was more just, oh God, you try to think about the world in different ways and sometimes you just get a line that's like, oh, she's in, a, she's in a field of throats and she's so mad she's just strangling all of them and she has to pay for it, which is even more insulting, right? Somehow that you have to like pay money to get all your frustration out. Um, so it's less about dreams than just like the freedom to just be weird. For God's sake, you know what I mean? Like if you want to read the book about someone whose grandmom died and she left the recipe for spaghetti and then you make the spaghetti and you remember your grandmom, that book exists. You can read it. There, there are plenty of them. Um, <laughs> I did not do that book at all. So sorry to that grandma. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also like you, you think like uh, the world has to, like this world is a certain way and there are certain things that you can't, you can't do. You can do anything in the book. Yeah, do whatever you want. Yeah. And also, I don't know, look, if you think about it, I would rail against the idea that, like, anyone should be telling anyone how to write a book fully. Like, my thought is, why can't you have fun? Why can't you explore? Why can't you make something weird? 
what's wrong with it, you know? That's like that time that guy told me I could not put tweets in poems. And I was like, so then Watch I had this, this. I created this lecture in Portland, and it was called, These Tweets Are in the Library of Congress, so fuck you, Doug. <laughs> I love that his name was Doug. He was a Doug. He was a total That's such Doug. a Doug thing like, to say. You can't put tweets in poems. Well, I mean, no, but it's a good point, right? It's like, why, why not displace the reader? Why not make something that feels inventive and different? I don't know. Yeah. Anybody else? You want to challenge me? I'm kidding. To thumb more? <laughs> yeah, you want to thumb wrestle? That's a good way to end this. That's going to be really great. Are you good? Okay. <laughs> well, buy the book and have her sign it and tell her that you liked it and embarrass her. Oh, you don't need to do that. Thanks for having <laughs> us. We really appreciate it. Um, at some point, you will sign my copy. Oh, yeah, of course. Right? Of course, okay. yeah. Do you sign it to my mother? I really still... want to give it to her. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.